are in this series called A Little Bit of Wisdom, and we're looking at the book of Proverbs. The book of Proverbs is full of incredible wisdom from the smartest man in Scripture. He had the most money in Scripture, I mean, next to Jesus. He had the most wives in Scripture. I mean, no, that wasn't wise. No, anyways. <laughs> I mean, no, one wife is good enough. And so, uh, but this guy, he put together a book. Actually, he wrote three different books, Song of Solomon's, Ecclesiastes, and Proverbs. And so we have decided to dive into this summer, dive into this book of Proverbs and looking at the idea of getting wisdom and why it's so important. So if you want to go back four weeks ago, we started this with this idea of getting wisdom. The first nine chapters of this book are all about why you need wisdom in your life. And then the week two, I talked about a teachable life and how if you really want to grow in any area of your life, you need to be teachable. And we looked through Proverbs of what wisdom had to say about that. Today, we're talking about work. And so the title of today's message is Made for Monday, Made for Monday. Now, let's just do a quick, honest assessment here. How many of you enjoy your job? You enjoy your job, raise your hand. Cool, all right, good. How many of you endure your job? You're enduring your job. How many of you need a job? Raise your hand. Okay, that's a good number of you. All right, good. Just keep your hands up. Anybody looking for employees? We, we'll, do a, we'll do a vetting system after it's all over. So this is a, a message all on work. And, and I just feel like work should be something that we enjoy, uh, even when the work that we do maybe is not enjoyable. And so I want us to kick off, of course, with our theme verse for this whole series found in Proverbs chapter 4. It says, above all and before all, do this. Everybody help me, 1115. Get wisdom. Get wisdom. Get wisdom. Write this at the top, at the top of your list. Get understanding. And so we talked about this idea that the reason why we want to get wisdom is because when we get wisdom, everything in our life flourishes. We get wisdom in our marriage, our marriage flourishes. When we get wisdom in our finances, our finances flourish. When we get wisdom in how we're supposed to treat people, our relationships flourish. And so we want to get wisdom. So today, this idea of getting wisdom when it comes to work, and the reason why I want to do this is because I want to help you. And as a pastor, I feel like I want to help you in the areas where you spend a lot of time in. And just by the graph, let, let, let me show you this. 40 hours a week, usually this is a minimum, but at least 40 hours a week, you're going to be working. 50 weeks a year, you're going to be working, which leads probably to about 40 years or so unless you retire. Um, and so that, that brings us to 80,000 hours at work that you're going to spend over the course of your lifetime. Now, this is a minimum. Um, some will spend way more than this. Some will spend less than this. But this is about a roundabout average. And I, I'm here to tell you that I believe that God has a lot to say about these 80,000 hours. See, here's the deal. You're, you'll spend probably about two to 3,000 hours, maybe a little bit more of, 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 your, of your time at work this year, maybe even a little, little, bit, little bit more than that, but it, it'll be a good bit of time. You'll spend maybe, let's just say uh, you come to church 40 times out of the 52, because not everybody's perfect attendance. Some of you are, but uh, we, let's say you go to 40. Let's say you spend about two hours here on a Sunday, so you'll spend about 80 hours in church and about two to three, two to three thousand hours at work. And the reason I bring that up is because I think those eighty hours should impact the way you spend those two to three thousand. I think the way you spend your your time at work, I mean your time at church, should impact the way you live your life at home. Anybody agree with that? How many believe what happens on Sunday should change the way you live on Monday? Y'all, y'all with me? And that's really honestly, that's my whole prayer as the pastor of this church is really to help us bring messages to you 
on a Sunday that help you on Monday. If what happens on Sunday doesn't change the way you live on Monday, don't come on Sunday. How many know we could be fishing right now or something else? I mean, we could be doing something else right now. But the reason we've chosen to come here is because we're, we're letting God dictate how we do our life. And I'm going to tell you, the Bible has a lot to say about work. All throughout Scripture, the majority of Scripture is God using ordinary people who had jobs to do incredible things for his kingdom. Think about it. All the way back in the Old Testament, David was a shepherd. Joseph was a shepherd. Adam and Eve had a job. You see this all throughout Scripture. You go into the New Testament. The 12 disciples that Jesus chose on his team, none of them went to seminary. None of them. They all went to fishinary. They, they were all fishermen. They all went, they were, they were all, uh, many of them were tax collectors, and some of them were attorneys, and some of them were doctors, and some of them, they all had jobs, though. I mean, the Apostle Paul, one of the greatest men in Scripture next to Jesus, also had a job. He was a tent maker, so he had a job. Jesus, before he was a, a preacher and a miracle worker, he was a carpenter. He had a job. And so God loves work. God created us to work. 39 out of the 40 miracles that happen in the book of Acts happen in the workplace. They don't happen in the church. And too often we bought into the lie that if I want to be used by God, then I've got to do it in church. But the truth is, yes, God can use you in church. But how many know God really wants to use you outside of the church? And so when we think of the word ministry or we think of the word minister, most people will think, when they, when they hear the word minister, they think of me. Like, that's my minister. That's what they think of. They think of me. But you know what scripture actually says? That you are ministers and that your job is actually to bring Jesus into everywhere that you go. You are in ministry even though you don't work for the church. You have a ministry to do. God's called us to do something. And so I was thinking about this idea of work, and, and, and here's, here's the big question. How do we make our work Christian? How do we make our work Christian? How, how is it a Christian work? Well, I was, I was thinking through this idea because uh, in 2004, there was a pilot for the American Airlines. He had just gotten back with his family from a, a missions trip. And he was all excited about this mission trip and just, man, I want to be on fire for God and I want to do everything I can for God. So he thought, you know what? I'm a pilot. I got people on my plane. It's a great opportunity to witness to every person on this plane. So in the pre-flight announcement, he said, good evening, passengers. So glad you chose American Airlines. My name is Captain whatever. Uh, I, I want to I find out if you are a Christian here on this flight, would you please raise your hand? And all of the Christian raised their hand. And then he said, if you did not raise your hand, if for some chance this plane was to crash, would you know where you spend eternity? If you do not, talk to the people who have their hands raised. <laughs> his, uh, his employer didn't like that he got fired. It's good effort, A for effort, <laughs> A for effort. Which by the way, you never want the pilot to come on there and say, if the plane crashes, you just never want that. And he, I would have just gotten off, I don't care if he was a Christian, I would have just gotten off. But, Anyways, and I was thinking, okay, well, okay, you can do that, but for many of us, if we were to try to evangelize people on our work, we would get fired, much like that. And I was saying, okay, well, then you can do what other people do, which is try to make your business Christian by putting, like, Christian names on things of it. And so I was thinking, like, if you, if you were going to open up a coffee shop and you wanted to make sure that people knew it was an awesome, godly coffee shop, you could, you could call it Hebrews. And... <laughs> 
I get that. Anyways, let's, don't laugh at these. And so then I was, I was thinking, if you're going to open a restaurant, you could open up a restaurant and call it Garden of Eaton. That would be a good one, right? We just make sure everybody knows. I, I like it. I think it's kind of cheesy. Don't, I wouldn't eat there. But, um, and then I was saying, okay, well, if, if, you're, if you have a passion for like senior citizens and, and healthcare, and if you open up a clinic, you could call it Cain and Abel. That would be a... <laughs> that one's funny, though. That one's funny. So please don't use any of those. And, uh, and I, I, I think there's much more to Christian work than just putting Christian labels on things, by the way. And, and I want to show you in the book of Proverbs what Solomon said about work. So if you, if you got your Bibles or your note cards, you can go to Proverbs 16, verse 3. And look what he says. He says, put God in charge. I mean, we can just stop there and go, that's a good amen. Amen. Put God in charge. But watch what he says. Put God in charge of what? Of your work. Put God in charge of your work. And here's what's going to happen when you do that. Then what you've planned will take place. Put God in charge of your work. Now, we understand this. We've been in church. If you've been churched long enough, you know, okay, I need to put God in charge of my life. I need to put God in charge of my finances. I need to put God in charge of my marriage. I need to get put God in charge of my, my parenting. But I've heard very, very few messages growing up that ever talked about putting God in charge of your work. I've always heard about what God wants to do for me, through me, with me, but I've very rarely heard messages on work. How many, how many of you would say you haven't heard many messages on work either when it comes to your workplace? I haven't heard many. And uh, I, honestly, I don't know why, because God has so much to say about work. And God wants you to put him in charge of your life and your finances and your marriage, but he also wants you to put him in charge of your work. And I think if we would learn to put him in charge of our work, we could actually find enjoyment in our work. Because the truth is many people don't find enjoyment in their work. They, it's, it's what I would call, like how many of you know like on the weekends when you get to like Sunday afternoon, you're, you start like, <sighs> who, let's be honest, who, who gets a little, a little depressed when you get into Sunday afternoon and Sunday night? Who gets a little depressed? Yeah, okay, exactly. I'm with my family, I've been enjoying it, I got no schedule, and tomorrow I'm gonna have to wake up early, gotta go deal with people I don't even like, I gotta go, you know. You got all this stuff that comes, right? And so how do we, here's the question, how do we put God in charge of our work? So the title of today's message is, You Are Made for Monday, Made for Monday. I believe we love Sunday, God recharges us and refuels us and encourages us and all that, but you are actually made for Monday. Now, I want you to listen very closely because this is going to help you so much. So if you're taking notes, I want you to write this first thing down, is that your work matters to God and God matters to your work. Your work matters to God and God matters to your work. Now, when we hear the word work, I think our culture is like, acted like that's a disease. Like you hear work and you're like, ugh, work. <laughs> no. Right? We, we try to push it away. We don't want to have anything to do with it. But I'm here to tell you that work was actually created by God. Work is what actually God does. How many know God is always at work? Amen. How many of you are glad God is always working? Amen. He's always at work. God don't get a day off. I mean, he's always working on our behalf. He's, and God created us to work. You were made and created to work. We say, well, how can you prove that? Well, you look at the design of the Bible, Genesis chapter 2. The Lord God took the man, and he put him in the garden of Eden. <laughs> no, Eden. All right, so. Y'all like that? Y'all like that? 
So quit. And so this is what he was designed to do. To what? I ain't going to sing the song. Okay, all right. So I don't, I don't listen to that stuff. What are you talking about? I don't listen to that. All right, so work it and keep it. That just went over all the religious people's heads. And so work, work, it's true though. Work it and keep it. God has called us to work. Thank God nobody's sitting over here. I'm spitting everywhere. God has called us to work it and to keep it. Work it, work it, work it, work it. God's called you to work. So listen, this is Genesis chapter 2. You know what happens in Genesis chapter 3? The fall of man. Eve and Adam eat the fruit. Sin enters into the world. God kicks them out of the garden. So you know what this tells me? This is before sin. Before, this is when the world is perfect. Everything is right. Relationship with God is great. Everything's good. It's amazing. The Bible says that God would create day one, and at the end of day one, he would say, it is good. Day two creates water and earth, skies, and he would say, it is good. And he did this all the way until day seven, until he rested. And one of the things he told it is that he said to work it and keep it. Now notice, he did not say it is perfect. You know why? Because perfect implies perfection, completion. You can't improve it. But he didn't say that. He said it is good. You know what good means? It can be better. It can be better. L let me give you a for example. Like my wife, I think she's out there in the foyer. She's, she's, you know, when she shows up on Sunday, she's beautiful. She's hair's all done. She looks amazing, gorgeous, makeup, fine looking dress. I mean, just, she's just fine. She's fine looking. She is perfection. But this morning when she woke up, She was good. She was good. <laughs> and she had the, the raw materials of makeup and a hairdryer and time. And she put all those raw materials to make perfection. It's, it's what God has called actually you and I to do. We're called to create and to cultivate. Okay. So a farmer takes the raw materials of seed and soil and equipment. And when he works it, he brings forth, brings forth a harvest of crops. An architect can take the raw materials of concrete and steel and blueprints and wood and nails and screws and can create a masterpiece of a building. This is, this is what a, a, an artist can take these instruments here and put the right notes together and create an atmosphere of worship that you and I were in some of y'all, if we were to put you behind one of these instruments, all of us would want to come after the worship is over because it wouldn't be good. Why? Because that's, it's not your skill, but it is theirs. But they've got to work it. God's called you and I to work. Work's not a bad thing. It's a great thing. And work matters to God, and God matters to your work. Let me just show you what Martin Luther said. Martin Luther said it this way. Watch what he says. When we pray the Lord's Prayer, we ask God to give us this day our daily bread. Great prayer. And he does give us our daily bread. Now watch how he does it, though. He does it by the means of the farmer who planted and harvested the grain, the baker who made the flour into the bread, and the person who prepared our meal. So when we pray, God, do this, how many know some people got to go to work 
to get you what you prayed for. And so God has called us to work. Work's not a bad thing. You're not allergic to it. You should do it. It's good. Which, by the way, if you don't have a job, you should be working to find a job. Now, unless there's, and I understand there's physical uh, disabilities, and there's things where you can't, which is why a lot of guys who have physical disabilities and can't work like they want to get frustrated. You know why? Because God created you to work. And so we find other ways to do that, but God is calling us to work. Number two, who you work for matters to God. Who you work for matters to God. Now watch what Colossians Chapter 3 says this in the Amplified Version. Whatever. Everybody say that word. Say it again. Whatever you do and whatever your task may be. What does it say? Work. Work. We got to work it. Okay, work from the soul. (laughs) I'm going to put that in everywhere. That is put in your what? Your very best effort. The best you got. As something done. Now watch this. Here we go. As something done for who? For the Lord and not for men. for men. So not for your boss, actually. We don't work. We do have a boss, but we don't work for our boss. Now, he thinks he, you do. But the truth is, actually, you have a boss who's greater than your boss. His name's Jesus. Jesus is your CEO. He is your boss. He is, he's the big guy. He, this is for the Lord, not for men, knowing with all certainty that it is from the Lord. Now, look at the next verse. What it says. Can we go to the next not from men that you will receive the inheritance which is, which is your greatest reward. It is the Lord Christ whom you actually serve. And so who you work for matters so much to God. This is what he's saying. Christian employees should be the best employees a workplace has. Why? Because we don't just talk about how much we love Christ. We actually work like Christ. We live like Christ. Let me put it a different way. How you work shows who you worship. I knew I wouldn't get a lot of amens on that one. You know why? Because it's true. How you work shows who you worship. If you worship yourself, then you'll do as, as much or as least as you want to do for yourself. But if you worship God, you will give him the best because he deserves the best. And so how you work shows who you worship. It's one thing to come in on a Sunday and be like, God, you're amazing. God, you're awesome. God, help me. And then go on Monday and be a bad employee. God has called us to be the best at what we do. And I'll put it even this way. If you go into work and you just happen to be able to wear whatever you want and you wear an I love my church shirt and you're a bad employee, take it off. (laughs) Please. If you got our decal, rip it off. Because we want to represent the best. We want to give our best. We want to be excellent in all that we do. Why? Because who we're working for matters. Y'all with me? Everybody with me so far on this? So who we work for matters. So, so I just wrote down uh, not only who, but how. So here are ways to glorify God in your work. Ways to glorify God in your work. I'm going to give you just three of them. There's a lot more. But I'm going to give you three because we'll look in Proverbs at what it says to this. Number one, it's sad that I have to say this, but be a hard worker. If you want to honor God, if you want to glorify God in your job, in your occupation, just be a hard worker. Proverbs 21, verse 5. Good planning and what? And hard work 
lead to prosperity, but hasty shortcuts lead to poverty. Good planning, hard work. If you go, depending on what version of Bible that you read, you'll see another word that means the exact same things, and it's called the, the diligent, the hands of the diligent. The diligent lead, the diligent work hard. This is this idea of diligence and being hard workers. You know some of the hardest workers I know, next to Mexicans, the hardest workers I know, which that's true, that's why they do your yard and your roofs and everything else, because you can't get any other people to do it. And so hard, hard workers, let me say the hardest workers I know are wives and mothers. Come on, let's give it up for moms, especially single moms. Especially single moms. Look, I, I saw this chart the other day. If a mom, what is a stay-at-home mom worth? Uh, on the average, stay-at-home moms juggle 96.5 hours of work each week, which is a base salary of 38000 overtime of 80000 a total salary of $118,000. Come on, how many stay-at-home moms would be like, yep, take, I'll take some of that. I'll take some, yeah. And so for any stay-at-home moms, this is huge. But I have so much respect for any moms, whether you're a working mom or you're a stay-at-home mom or you're a single mom. I have so much respect for moms because, look, I mean, they're psychologists and janitors and van drivers and daycare teachers. They cook. They're a housekeeper. They're a computer operator, laundry operator. They're a CEO, facilities manager. Come on, how many of you know the world would not be the same if it wasn't for mom? Thank God for mom. And actually, the Bible actually speaks to this. Proverbs chapter 31, speaking of the woman, it says she is energetic and she is strong. And guess what? And she is a what? She is a hard worker. Now, all the ladies better amen me on this one and reward her for all she has done. Come on, somebody. I'm working the brownie points with the women in here. All right, so reward her. That means coal shopping spree. No, I'm joking. All right, so. <laughs> but she needs to be rewarded for what she does. But they are hard worker. Proverbs 10, verse 4 says, lazy people are soon poor. Hard workers get rich. How many of you have ever heard the term, are you, are you working hard or are you? Are you oh, y'all know that one? Oh. Mm -hmm. Working hard or hardly working. The sad, sad, sad thing with our generation now is they want to hardly work but get paid as much as possible. Right? And I, I'm not, I don't want to speak down on our generation because I'm so for my generation and for the generation that's following me. But I'm just telling you, to my generation, to those who are 37 and below, you need to learn how to work. Because I don't know about you, I, I had, how many of you had parents that taught you hard work? Like, they were hard workers and they taught you hard. How many of you had to do chores and, and stuff around the house? I remember when I went to my dad and told him, Dad, listen, I know I've been doing chores. My dad get me up at 7 a.m. on Saturday morning. Get up, son. We're mowing the grass. And he'd be like, you're weed eating. I'm like, no. And so I, I thought, you know what, this is my chance. So I went to my dad, I said, hey, dad, listen, I've been doing a lot of chores around here, clean dishes, I vacuum, I weed eat at times. I, I, there's, there's guys in my class, they get an allowance. I think I should get an allowance. Is that, can we do an allowance? And my dad said, oh, you do get an allowance. I allow you to live in my house. I allow you to eat my food. I allow you to ride on the car. Come on, who in here did not get an allowance? You had to work and you just, you worked. That's what you did. Like you worked to stay in the family. That's what you did. If you didn't do chores, you were getting, like, you were out. You were out of, I don't even know, they disowned you. Like, my dad was like, you're going to get a job. You know, you're going you gonna to prov provide somehow. And so my, my parents taught me how to work. I remember when I got my first car, uh, and I went to my dad and said, Dad, I'm turning 16. I, he's like, you want a car? I'm like, yes. 
I'm like, this is going to be a great conversation. He's like, great. He's like, go get a job. I said, I thought 16-year-olds were supposed to be given a car. He said, not in this house. He said, do you want a car? Go get a job. And then this is what I'll do. He said, I'll be fair. You're gonna, you, I'll, I'll co-sign with you, and you're going to pay that note, and then you're going to pay for half of your insurance, and I'll pay the other half. And you go, I was like, what about gas? He's like, well, you got that too. <laughs> I was like, man, I can't go anywhere. <laughs> well, too bad. And I, I, that was the beginning process of me learning about money and learning about being a, a worker. And so, so all of high school, it was me working on days uh, that I wasn't in school. And so just learning this ethic of hard work. And so even trying to teach that to my sons now, what it is. Because how many know when you work for something, you appreciate it so much more? Any, anybody in here, you, after you cut your grass, a long, hard day of cutting your grass, and then you just sit back and you're like, ah, looks good. You know, just like, man, tapped into my inner Mexican. It looks, looks awesome. It looks amazing. You know, <laughs> come on, somebody. <laughs> you just, this is just what it is. Or whatever kind of project you just do, and you just, you just get done with it, and you're like, ah. Because God has created us to work. And so this is a part of the process of being a hard worker. This is, look what Proverbs 12, verse 24 says. Work hard and become a what? You become a leader. But if you're lazy, you become a slave. Now remember, Solomon, a lot of his writings was to his own children. So he was, he was telling them, like, hey, don't become lazy. If you're going to become lazy, you're going to be a slave. If, you, if you'll work hard, you'll become a leader. Hey, you want to know how you get, get promotions in your job? You want to know how, do you, how you climb the ladder? You work hard. Bosses are watching this. Managers are watching this. Supervisors are watching this. Are you a hard worker? Do, do you try to do as least as possible? When the boss is around, you do as much as possible. But when the boss is gone, you do as least as possible. No, we're going we're gonna to work hard. Because in that, God says, I'll promote you. I'll bring you as a leader. If you're lazy, don't keep complaining about that role because you're trying to do as little as possible. And so I'm, telling, I'm, I'm speaking on behalf of every manager, CEO, supervisor. They're looking for people that are hard workers. And it's, it's, it's kind of crazy today that you really don't even have to be really, really super good as long as you're really hard worker, as long as you're faithful and teachable. I mean, no, businesses are just looking for that. That'll set you above the rest, just that alone. So develop a hard work. Number two is you need to develop a school, a skill, school, a skill, develop a skill. Watch what Proverbs 22 says. Proverbs 22 says this, do you see someone skilled in their work? Now watch this. They will serve before kings. So God has called you and I to use our skills. Now I want you to tune in on this one. God has given you a skill. And it's different than everybody else's. You have gifts and you have talents that God has put inside of you and inside of me. Your job, though, is to use them. God can put them in you all you want, but you've got to use them. And the reason why most people are frustrated with their jobs is because of what I'm about to show you. So I want you to tune in here for a minute. There's God's way that we approach our jobs and then there's the world's way that we approach our jobs. Let me show you God's way first. God's way is this. You discover what your gift is and you start using it. Which, by the way, if you don't know what your gift is, that's what Next Step is all about. We do Next Step every month on the Sundays during this service to help you discover what your gift is. You'd be surprised at how many Christians don't even know what their actual gifts are. 
God's put a gift inside of you. You gotta discover it, then you gotta use it. Once you start using your gift, though, watch what happens. It releases passion inside of you. You get really excited about it. It's something you love to do. And then, from there, it goes to adding value to others. You take your gift and your passions, and you start doing them, and it adds value to the people around you. It adds value to your business. It adds value to the company. It adds value to the coworkers. It adds value to your boss. It adds value, and then watch what happens. When you start adding value to other people, then comes compensation for that. That's God's way. Take your gifts, use them, add value to people, and then you'll get compensated for that. All these scriptures are saying that hard work, become a leader, you'll become rich, you're putting all this stuff together. That's God's way. Unfortunately, though, most people don't subscribe to God's way. They subscribe to the world's way. The world's way is completely different. God's way is the first thing I should ask when I'm thinking about a job is, what's my calling? What's my gifts? What's my passions? But most people don't ask those questions. You know what they ask? How much does it pay? The world's way is it starts with compensation. How much am I going to make? And then once they figure out, okay, that's enough to make, then they may start asking, well, can I actually do the job? And then is it actually something I'm passionate about? And then last but not least is, does it actually benefit anybody else other than me? And what we do is we, we let money be the driving factor on the choices we make when it comes to our jobs. And it's the reason why so many people are miserable with their jobs. Because they've been pursuing money instead of pursuing doing something that adds value to other people and using their gifts. And so what ends up happening is they pursue money and they think money's going to give them the fulfillment. They make a ton of money. They start buying a bunch of stuff, buy big houses and big cars and nice stuff. And it's no problem to have those stuff. The problem is those stuff start having them. And then they get stuck in a job that they have to keep working because they have to pay for all the stuff they bought. I'm preaching really good here. I'm going to amen myself. Is this not true? And it's a cycle. It's a rotation cycle. It's the big question of when someone gets out of college, where are you going to work? Well, where can I make the most money? That's a terrible question to ask because you're going to be miserable. You can go make tons of money. But you're going to be miserable because you're not doing what God has called you to do. So you want to ask first, God, what have you called me to do? God, what is my gift? What is my talents? And then how can I leverage that to now be a job, a benefit to other people around me? It, it's, it's amazing. The people who enjoy their work the most are the people who would do it even if they didn't get paid. You're like, well, who are those people? I'm one. I did this job 18 years ago for the first like three years with not getting paid. And then, and then when I did get paid, you would have laughed when you actually saw my check. <laughs> my wife was taking me out on dates. <laughs> this is no lie. This is just the way it was. But I, I knew I had a passion and a gift to want to just help people and love people and, and be in that. And so I was willing, I, I knew God would bring the compensation at some point, but I just, I, God, this is the gift. This is what I feel like you've called me to do. And so some of you have got to really walk through this. Uh, what is my skill and am I developing that and am I using that? And I, I can guarantee you right now, if you're not using your skill and gifts, I know you're miserable. I know it. It, it comes with using what you're passionate about. What do you, what do you, what do you love? Number three is be honest. 
So we got to be a hard worker. We need to develop a skill, but then we got to be honest. Proverbs chapter 11 says this, God hates cheating in the marketplace, but he loves it when business is above board. How many know now if you watch any news, you're seeing all of these CEOs and business owners that are now going to jail because of this? How many, how many bosses or people do you know that tried to, tried to cheat their way to success? They tried to skimp out on things, tried to do a little bit less, didn't want to do the full best, didn't want to give their best resources. And so they were cheating. And by the way, that's, that word hate's a big word. It's not many things in scripture that God hates, but this is definitely one of them. So I was thinking, okay, well, to make this practical, what is that, what is cheating in my work look like? Pull your feet up. Fudging mileage reports, padding business expenses, skimping your time cards, calling in sick when you're not, not reporting income, not, not fulfilling what you say you're going to do, doing as little as you possibly can, knowing that you can do a lot more. Those are all ways we cheat our work. Those are all ways we cheat our boss. God is calling us out here to say, I love it when business is above board, but I hate it, especially when my people who are called by my name cheat to try to get success. My grandfather was one of the greatest examples of a Christian business owner that I've ever met. My grandfather died when I was 13 years old, so I didn't get a, a whole lot of time with him. But he was a business owner, owned his own company. He was in an, uh, in, in an industry that was booming at the time. And I remember my grandmother telling me of how many deals that he missed out on because he was honest. He would go and sit down in these business meetings with clients trying to sell his product, and they would ask a question, and he knew if he could... He could paint it a certain way where he could probably make the deal, but he knew deep down inside that if I say that, I'm technically somewhat lying because it's a half-truth, and he couldn't deal with that. And so he would lose the job because of his integrity. But I'm gonna tell you right now, the man, when he, even when he died, when we went around and talked to the businesses that worked with him, said that is the most faithful, humble, honest most integrity-filled man I've ever met. We loved doing business with him because they knew when they sat across the table, when they asked a question, he was going to be honest back. And it's sad because nowadays, if you'll sit across an employee and ask a question, they'll lie if it makes them look good or they'll lie if it makes them more money. And how many know none of us like to do business with any of those people, especially if you found out you got lied upon later on, Right? You say things like, I'm never going back to that business. I'm never working with that guy again. And so God has called us as his people to be honest in all that we do. I love what Psalm says this. You might want to highlight this verse. Psalms 15 says this, keep your word even when it costs you. How many know sometimes keeping your word does cost you? How many know doing the right thing is sometimes not the easy thing? Sometimes doing the right thing means that I'm going to make some people mad at me. It means that I'm gonna lose a job or lose a sale or lose something. But I, I, here's the deal. You wanna keep your integrity though, more than anything. Make an honest living and never take a bribe. You'll never get blacklisted if you live like this. And we got numbers of people that are on the news every night and every week that are getting blacklisted 
because of things that they did behind the scenes in a conference room that nobody else knew about, and now they're being displayed in front of everybody. I'm going to tell you the same thing is with our church and the way that we handle finances and the way that we do things. If you come into our office, you'll see all of our offices have glass doors, all of them. There's nothing that we do that is hidden when it comes to money, when it comes to people, because honesty and integrity matter more than anything. Because you can cheat your way to the top. The problem is, though, integrity will catch up to you. And if you don't do things with integrity, if you don't treat people with integrity, and if you're not a man of your word, at the end of the day, you have nothing to stand on. Can I get an amen for this? Amen. Honesty, transparency is huge in any organization whatsoever. And in your business as well. If you blow it, tell your boss, I blew it. And own it. And it may be a demotion for you for a time, but at least he knew you were honest and you were humble enough to admit it. I'm preaching really good here, and I know it's real quiet, but are y'all with me? I'm trying to help you. I'm trying to help you. I, I want you to get promoted. I want you to be the boss. I want you to go and, 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 and increase in levels. I want you to make more money. I want you to have more responsibility. But you got to do it with integrity. You got to do it with hard work. You got to do it with developing skill. You got to do it with honesty. And then number four, the last one is why you work matters to God. Why you work matters to God. See, some people work for the paycheck. Those are the miserable people. Some people work for the weekend. Those are the miserable people on the week. They're happy on the weekend, but they're miserable during the week. What I'm calling us to do as a church is to not work for the paycheck and to not work for the weekend, but to work for the question. What are you talking about? The question. The because you work so differently than everybody else, because you're a Christian who puts forth their best effort and you show up early and you do the jobs nobody else wants to do and you're honest and you're the hardest worker at your job, because you do all those things and you bring joy and a blessing to your business, there will come a time where a boss or a coworker or a client will look at you and go, why do you do what you do? And that's what you're working for, that moment. When they look at you and say, why are you so happy all the time? Why are you willing to do the jobs nobody else wants to do? And then you say, because this guy's not my boss. Jesus is. And he, I love him, and I, he deserves my best, and I give him my best, and I love people, and I love you, and I give you my best. Amen. We work for the question. Do you realize not, more people will not be in church today than are in church? Y'all know that, right? But here's a really exciting thing. Because you're a minister, and because I'm a minister, not because I'm a pastor, but because I'm a Christian, guess what? We get to, tomorrow morning, bring Jesus to everybody else that didn't go to church. Yeah. That's what we get. So we get to bring, the kingdom comes down to earth through us, and now we get to go and we represent Jesus in our doctor's offices, on the pipeline, in Burger King checkout line, in Walmart, in Piggly Wiggly. We get to just go and be Jesus to those that we go and work with and work for. So you walk into your office complex now and you're like, I hope someone's having a bad day because I'm going to go pray with them and I'm going to go encourage them. Man, I hope somebody's sick. I'm going to go pray over them and I'm going to lice all my hands and I'm going to tell them to leave. And then, <laughs> right? 
And you walk into that parking lot at, that, at your job and you go, God, you filled me yesterday. You refreshed me yesterday. God, you, have, you are in me. And now I get to go be you to these people. And you get to step into whatever, whatever business transactions that you're going to step into that day, whether you're working in the healthcare, or you're working in education, or you're working in the oil field, or you're working in the retail, or whatever your job may be, or maybe you're going home to work, and your work is with your kids. You get to every single Monday, walk into that place, and you get to make a difference. The reason you're frustrated with your work is because you're looking for your work to, to fulfill something in you that it was never meant to fulfill. What was meant to fulfill you was when you go and you make a difference in other people's lives. That's what brings you joy. When you step into a place and you go, I get to now today bring kingdom of heaven into this place. And there's gonna be a single mom that you work with that's a coworker of yours that can't get their teenager under control and they're having the worst day ever and you're gonna run into a, a coworker that's a guy that's going through hell at home. His work is, 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 is flourishing but his home life is terrible and you're gonna get an opportunity to work right alongside this guy or this woman. And you're gonna to get to share with them what God is doing in your life and minister to them and care for them. Listen to me, you get to minister to way more people than I do. I minister to Christian people all the time, all right? Sometimes I wish I could get around someone who cusses a little bit, all right? Well, some of y'all do, so anyways. <laughs> I enjoy, I personally enjoy getting outside of my office, getting around outside of the Christianese world, and getting into secular environments with people who are broken and hurting. Every Sunday when I walk into here at church, I'm not excited about just preaching. I'm excited about walking in between services and after services and hearing your stories and what's going on in your world. Hearing about someone who just got into a car accident Man, can you just really be praying for me and get a chance to encourage? Hearing somebody that is going through a situation with their son and going, man, can I just pray for you and encourage you? I, I, Sunday is not a chance for me just to come up on the stage and just preach to you. Sunday is a chance for me to come and use my gifts and my passions to add value to you. And tomorrow, you get the same, same thing. And by the way, God looks at your call the same way as he looks at mine. Whether you're going into a schoolroom or whether you're going into a doctor's office, or whether you're going offshore, or whether you, whatever your field is, you are an ambassador on that field. Are y'all with me? Everybody, everybody? And God has called you. God has called you. I want you to hear me. Just as much as God has called me to be a pastor of this church, God has called you. He's called you. And, and so I, I wrote this down. If you want to just write this down, and we're done. When glorifying Jesus is our primary motivation, our work becomes worship. When glorifying Jesus becomes our primary motivation, our work becomes worship. Oftentimes we think worship is what we did for those four songs before I got up here and preached. That's not worship. It's a part of worship. But true worship is a lifestyle. The Bible even says you could be eating and worshiping. Come on, somebody. I'm like, <laughs> I'm a big worshiper. And so um, you, anything that you're doing that brings glory to God is worship. So tomorrow or whatever in time this week, when you go to work, 
You can worship. When you go home and got to deal with them children's, that's worship. All right? That's, everything's an act of worship. And so listen, when Jesus is our motivation, whatever I'm doing can be an act of worship to him. Because how I work reveals who I worship. Let me give you the last one. And this is our, our tidbit of wisdom today for this message. And that is do what you do well for the glory of God and the mission of God. Whatever you do, just do it well. And do it for Jesus and for his mission. That's it. I don't care if you're a clerk at Walmart or you're a doctor or an attorney or a lawyer, CEO of a business, or you're flipping burgers at Mickey D's. Whatever you do, do it well. Do it well. And then, and then do it for God's glory, not your own. And do it for God's mission, not your own. God's got a mission for you tomorrow. I pray that you would go, take advantage of it, use it, and watch what God does. Would you bow your heads in this place? Father, we love you. God, thank you for the opportunity we have today to be challenged, encouraged in your word. Your presence is here because your people are here. And wherever your people gather, you're, you're here in our midst. So God, we just invite you. To, as we prayed earlier, God, help us, show us, lead us, fill us. But not just for us. God, help us so that as we leave this place, we'd, we'd, we'd be answers to the questions that people are asking. We'd be solutions to the problems that people are having. Not that we're the answer, but we've got the answer. You're that answer. So God, I pray that you would help us today, tomorrow, this week and beyond, to view our work as an opportunity for ministry. God, you've put us in this workplace for your purposes. So help us. God, we need your strength to work with the difficult people that we work with. Maybe the different, the, the difficult scenarios and, and uh, situations that we're in. We need wisdom. We need wisdom. We need wisdom. God, we need you. Help us. While your heads are still bowed, I, you know, it's, it's one thing you can hear a message like this and you want to walk out and go, okay, I'm going to do it. But the truth is, apart from Christ and his ability in you, it may, it may work for a week or two, but eventually you'll go right back. The only way you can have lasting change is when you have a relationship with God. And every day he refills you, refreshes you. And if you don't have a relationship with God, I'll, I want to pray for you today. The Bible says that the way that we do that is, is as simple as ABC. We admit that we're sinners. And that apart from Christ, we're, our life is nothing. That be that we believe that Jesus died on the cross and he took our shame and our guilt and our past and our brokenness and he bore all those on his body because he loved us so much and he rose again to conquer that and to give us life and that see if we will confess that he is Lord and the Savior of our world if he is if we we just surrender we just surrender and he'll come in give us new life new hope if you're here in this place and you don't have a relationship with God like that 
I want to pray for you. And the count of three, I just want you to shoot your hand up. This is the, the best decision you'll ever make today. Say, that's me. I, w- I want that. One, two, three. If that's you, hands going up. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you back there in the back. Thank you so much. You can put your hands down. Now, we're going to just pray this with you. And I want you to pray this out loud. Say, dear Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus to take my sin, my shame, and my guilt on the cross. You died for it, and you rose again to give me new life, new heart, new desires. Today, I repent of my sins. I turn from my ways, and I surrender to you. Come be Lord of my life from this day forward. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen.